Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to Luke chapter 5. As you're going there, I want to ask you a question. What is the most extraordinary thing that you've witnessed? Now, I'm not asking you to shout it out, but when I use the word extraordinary, I'm not talking about some of those astonishing things. It might be one of those really odd things that you're like, I cannot believe that I just saw that happen. And it may not be one of those uh, moments you just go, wow, wasn't that great? It might be one of those moments of, wow, that was incredibly stupid, okay? (laughs) I thought I'd share with you you that people had sent in that were out on social media in response to that ask. One person simply wrote in, my teenager cleaning their room without being told. (laughs) That was quite extraordinary for me. One guy said, there were three guys on one motorcycle riding up a windy road in Guatemala at night using their cell phone as both the headlight and the taillight. (laughs) This one will touch your heart. The most extraordinary thing for me was an elderly woman of whom I'd been taken care of who looked at me and said, God is love, and then died. Wow. That's extraordinary. I loved this one. Two people riding a motorcycle on Highway 192 east of Kissimmee, Florida, naked except for their boots on. (laughs) And may I add, I looked really good in those boots, okay? Um, But here's my favorite. It came from a police officer. Now, there were many, many of these that were sent in, but from a police officer, one day while on duty... I was behind a lady in a brand new Cadillac. We were stopped at a light on a four-lane road. A semi-hauling cattle truck pulled up beside her with cow tails sticking out of the side of the trailer with her driver's side window open. (laughs) A stream of cow urine shot into her window. (laughs) The lady tried to get her window up, but gallons were flowing in. The light changed the truck and trailer and the offending cows moved on. (laughs) Now that's extraordinary. And I'll be honest, I wish I could have been there. That would have been great. We're in a series that we've entitled A Toolbox for Life. If you're a guest, what we're talking about is vision and values by which we all live. I'm going to keep saying it over and over. Every one of you whether it is actually a physical toolbox, because in some cases it is. The very things that you hold in your hand is your vision and values. It's the things that you invest in. It's the things that you speak about. But every person in this room has a toolbox by which they live. Their vision of why they get up every day and do what they do, why they date who they do, why they marry who they do, why they have children and their children are involved in what they do. Every person here has a vision by which they live and they have values, the tools in the box by which they make those decisions. That is a fact of life. 
Nobody's just going through the motions. That's your vision. That's your values. You bought into a lie and decided that I am nothing. I have nothing to offer. That's your value. That's why you do what you do and say what you do and go where you do. Everybody here has a toolbox by which they live. And we're going to wrap up the vision side of this. And next week, we're going to start talking about some of those specific tools for values that this church has now adopted and embraced of what we choose to live for. And I'm going to be honest, the heat's going to get turned up a little bit. And I'm not sure that everybody in the room wants that. I think there's reasons why there's certain people who are no longer in this room. We all have vision and values. And we started talking about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Because we're going to say that we're saved. But lip service doesn't mean a whole lot to God. It means a lot to us. But lip service means nothing to God. But didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. But Jesus gave an example by which we're supposed to live. That example is not sitting next to you. It's not sitting behind you or before you. It's not the example, if you will, of the person who's within you. God gave us an example of who he is, and that person is Jesus Christ. And how Jesus lived, we're supposed to live. But the Christian church has done things like this. Well, but Jesus was perfect. He was God. We can't be like Jesus. You obviously don't get him or got him. Again, that's your vision, that's your values. You justify your life by in the world in which you live rather than being justified by the one who died in the cross for you. You keep making excuses. Well, nobody's perfect. Okay, well, that's your choice. I know some of you are going, well, you saying, pastor, you're perfect? I didn't say that. But you're not my example by which I'm supposed to live My example is to be Jesus Christ who was perfect. And I will say this again, only perfect people get to go to heaven. And somewhere we better start squaring that up. Because in paradise there is no sin. So we better stop excusing and justifying our lives this side of heaven if we're supposed to start living as if heaven is really in our heart. And somehow we're going to have to start playing with this. We're going to have to start looking at it. Jesus saw people. Jesus had compassion for them. He really cared and he met their needs. Jesus people are other-minded. Jesus people do what Jesus did. When you solidify where your name is written, if it's in the book of heaven, well, you start to live heaven, now the book out in your life. It's not about you. Jesus said the first will be last. As I came to serve, you serve. I wash feet, you wash feet. That's the example by which I lived. You're to do the same. But we don't live in that world much anymore. And I'm not talking about the unsaved. I'm talking about the saved. But then we talked about then a little more closer to the fire. Well, then what are the questions you need to ask every day that you get up? If we're going to be about what really matters to the heart of God, we need to start asking ourselves some serious questions. And I gave you three. And I'm not going to go through those again. 
But then last week we talked about heaven. That I, I, I know there's a lot about heaven I don't know. I just think it's going to be pretty awesome. <laughs> pretty, pretty clear to that. It isn't, it isn't here and now in the sense of what we're seeing, but it can be here and now. But when we cross that line and breathe our last and we're in the presence of God, always in the presence of God, that's going to be pretty awesome. Would you all agree? And we've got to get rid of this crap that's in our mind because there are people like, well, I don't really know about heaven, man. Like, you know, you know, we're going to have wings. <laughs> are we going to be like wearing white toga? I mean, what's the deal? I mean, what kind, it's like all of that's just man's kind of doing a really crappy job of trying to tell you what's to come. It's that whole idea, you know, I saw a light. It was so bright. That means you just woke up and someone turned the light on, you know what I mean? I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not playing it down. I'm just here to tell you. It's a whole lot more than just light and you can't see it and it's bright. There's something amazing about it that Adam and Eve had in a garden. And my Bible says that God's trying to restore the garden. And so do I, I, do I believe there's going to be mountain uh, streams and snow falling in the mountains and it's going to be beautiful, beautiful and, and we're going we're gonna to ex experience the unbelievable orchards that are in the northern area of Michigan that if you've not been there, you should go there and there's going to be sunsets on the ocean. It's going to be crazy amazing and the moment that my family played with dolphins out in the ocean, I'm here to tell you, those are all pictures of what is to come. So when people say, well, there's going to be no animals in heaven. Well, how do you know that? They were in the garden before perfection, or in perfection, and they were made before you. Why wouldn't they be in heaven? See, we, we, there's so much we've, we, we've heard and we failed to grasp, but what does the Bible say? God, God doesn't give us a taste of something that's so good and then takes it away. When it's of God and it's given, it's only heightened and it keeps getting heightened. And we live in a fallen world because of sin and God's going to restore the beauty of his creation that from the very beginning he said, this is good. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. And so it's going to be breathless. It's going to be awesome beyond anything we could ever fathom. It's going to be. But I, what I did tell you is that good people aren't there. Bad people are who recognize who they need. There are no good people to say, well, they're such a good man. Okay, hell. <laughs> good people don't go to heaven. To say that removes the very nature of who Christ is because he says, why do you call me good? Only the Father's good. Jesus said that. There's only sinners, which we all are. And then there's those who recognize they're a sinner and they confess and receive grace. And Jesus Christ is the key to that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so that's the gospel. But that needs to be starting to live now. And I want to talk about that 
because we're trying to cast the vision of who this church is and what we want to be. People that recognize how desperately we need Jesus. And then how can we be like Jesus in our world? And it's to that that I want to speak. You know, the peanut cartoons, I love those. One day Linus comes home with his report card. He hands it to his sister Lucy and turns on the TV to which she scoffs. Linus, you got a C in history. That's only average. Quickly, Linus replies, so what? I'm an average student in an average school in an average community. What's wrong with being average? Listen to what Lucy says. Because you're capable of doing so much more. And she's right. We've bought into so many lies and settled for so much less when God made us for so much more. I don't know if you know this, but the average man in an average world right now is 34.4 years of age. Did you know that? The average woman, this will shock you, is 45 years of age. Hold on to that one. The average man earns on average 17,500 per year. The average woman earns on average 16,000 per year. The average man is five foot nine inches tall. The average woman is five foot four inches tall. The average man sleeps on average six hours per night. The average woman on average seven hours a night. On average, the average man weighs 175 pounds. On average, the average woman, well, we don't talk about it, and it might be why the average man dies earlier than the average woman, okay? <laughs> but here's what I want you to think about right now. How close to average are you? With all of those stats that I just gave you, how close to average are you? But I'm only using that to prime the pump because I want to get a little more personal now. They tell us that the average Christian over the average course of their average life will attend more than 1,600 church services, hear more than 1,600 sermons, sing over 20,000 Christian worship songs, and participate in over 10,000 public prayers, and yet will lead zero people to faith in Jesus Christ over the course of their average Christian life. How close to average are you to that? It's sobering, isn't it? Especially when God has made us for so much more. But I need to add of which you will be accountable for that so much more. When we stand before God, you need to hear this. You will not be judged by what you thought you could have done. You will be judged according to what he created you to do. God birthed you for a reason. He expects a return on what he created, not what you did with it. I know that sounds contradictory, but God foreknew me 
before the world was even in motion because that's what love does. He fashioned me, he breathed in me, he called me as he's called every one of you who come into the name of Jesus Christ. And in that moment of receiving the gospel, he then has the fullness of a plan that he had purposed. There is no plan B, there's always plan A. And that plan A begins to roll out because he believes that you believe in who he is and you surrender to that. And therefore he's gonna put that in motion. And when you and I play church, rather than walk like Christ, there's something wrong and it's on that that he's gonna judge. See, we better start learning how we language things. Because see, some of you afterwards, might go out to eat and go, I don't know if I agree with the pastor. You're not going to be a judge whether you agree with me or not. You're going to be judged because you better find out what he really wants. Because not, you're not going to get to heaven. He's going, listen, I didn't agree with Keith. I just don't remember you ever studying and reading my word and trying to figure it out for yourself. See, it's those things that we have to start dealing with. What does it really mean to be Christ-like? Because that's what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Christ. There's two words that I've grown so much that I don't even like hearing is the word I'm sorry because it doesn't seem to mean much anymore. And the other one is the word Christian. I've shared with you over and over when I was in Israel and I got to be a friend with a guide whose name was Ari Ram who was a Hebrew, a Jew. And I could tell by his language that he knew Jesus like as his personal Savior and Lord. So I would over and over and ask, so you're a Christian? And he'd go, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I go, oh, you're a Christian? He goes, no, 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 I'm a follower of Jesus. Throughout our time together, it went to where he would smile and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, too. He started getting more and more frustrated and disgusted that he finally took me aside and he said, I would really ask that you would quit asking me that word. I don't ever use that word. I go, what word are you talking about? Christian, he says that, I don't ever say that word. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, I, and I'd say, and I finally said, Ari, why is that? He says, because in your country, it means nothing. You have no idea. And this is what he said, tears running down his cheeks. He says, you have no idea what it costs me. You have no idea what it cost me. I lost everything. But in Jesus, I gained everything. I am a follower of Jesus. And our friendship began to grow out of that. But more and more, I'm starting to understand what that really means. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What it means that we're not average that I've entitled this message what it means to live an extraordinary life because that's what it's all about. And so I want to talk about that. If you got your Bibles, Luke chapter five, Luke chapter five, there's an amazing story. What does it mean to live an extraordinary life? An extraordinary life. So if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter five, I'm beginning in the 17th verse. Here's what it said. On one of those days, notice that, on one of those, it's just another ordinary day. On one of those days, 
as Jesus was teaching, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. One of those days, just another day, Jesus is teaching. Verse 18, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Just an ordinary day and some ordinary men. Notice what Luke says, some men. We don't know if there's anything really extraordinary about them. It's not mentioned here. We don't know their names and there's no pedigree seems to be attached to them. Just one of those days and some ordinary men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, remember who's in the crowd, they went up on a roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the man who is paralyzed, and he says to him, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and may I add, and relying on, and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, watch this now, we have seen extraordinary things today. This is just a cool story. I want you to notice how our story begins again on one of those days. But it ends, we have seen extraordinary things today. It starts out like any other day, but it ends dramatically different. Let me just say it this way. Anytime you take an average day and you connect it to an awesome God, extraordinary things begin to happen. Anytime you take an average day and you connect that day with an awesome God, extraordinary things happen. It's what happened with the disciples. See, I don't think we get it. They're just ordinary average guys. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, just ordinary average everyday fishermen, living ordinary average lives, doing ordinary average jobs. Matthew was just an ordinary average everyday tax collector, living an ordinary average life, doing an ordinary average job, until Jesus comes along. And I don't think we understand who this Jesus is. There's something incredible about a story that starts as one of those days but becomes an extraordinary day because of Jesus. And I believe that's the same thing that God wants to do for us right now in this day. In the midst of a pandemic, 
in the midst of a problematic world. I think God wants his people to start understanding who this Jesus is. I think God wants his church to come alive like he's never had his church come alive before. But it really determines who you think this Jesus is. And so I want to ask a question. Anyone here right now want to experience some extraordinary? See, this is precisely why God gave the church. The number one, I believe, action of the church is to help ordinary people connect with an extraordinary God. I believe with all my heart. And I believe this with all my heart, and this one will hurt. Jesus said, the mouth speaks what's in the heart. And I don't say that to judge or disrespect anybody in this room. You're going to talk about what matters most to you. The question is, is it Jesus? And why is it that you've never told anybody about Jesus or walk them through the gospel and help them come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? What's going on with the church that they'll talk, it seems, about everyone else, but they won't talk about Jesus? What's going on? And it's to that that I want to help you. And I'm hoping that this message will be so life changing. It's time for us to help connect people. Ordinary people with God so they can begin to experience an extraordinary life. But I have to ask this question. Maybe you need to be honest. Do you even want this tool in your toolbox? Do you really want, in your vision and values, God use my life to make an eternal difference? Every moment of every day, I want to tell someone about Jesus. I want, I want to live such a life, God. In my marriage, in my house, in my home, at my work, everywhere I go. I want everything that I have to be an expression of you. Do you even want that in your toolbox? And by the way, God already knows the answer. He doesn't need talented, gifted people. He needs surrendered people who say, you know, I don't know what's much about me, but there's a whole lot about you, God. Here's my life. And it's in that that God will turn it upside down. In fact, I, I would offer to you, you might want to quit chasing all the people in the world that you think are talented and think if I could just be like them, because the more gifted you are, the more accountable you'll be to God. Amen. I'm just being upfront with you. The bigger the stage, the greater responsibility that you have to talk to God about it. And so I want to share with you some incredible insights from these guys. These ordinary guys from the story that I think are so life transforming. And so here's the first thing I want you to know that I learned from these guys about what it means to live an extraordinary life. Here's what I've just learned about these guys that brought their friend to the feet of Jesus. 
They were extraordinary friends. Now, I want to help you with that. I already told you, there's no wow about their lives. There's nothing listed that we know, nothing unbelievably of special favor or anything like that. Luke says again, they're just some men who came carrying a man on a sleeping mat. They're just some men. But why would I say they're extraordinary? Because here's, here's what you got to catch. They're bringing their friend to Jesus. What greater ask could you ask of any friend? See, I don't want any friends in my life who just want to sit around and watch football. I have no friends like that in my life. I've had people who want to hang out with me. The second time that we hang out and the name of Jesus does not come up, that relationship begins to dwindle. And I realize I will speak into them but I'm not going to spend time with them and call this a friendship. That's just a waste of time to me. And yet I hear men, oh man, we're like best friends, man. We just hang out all the time. So what do you do? Oh, we watch football. We talk about all hunting. And I just listen. What else do you do? Oh, nothing. We just shoot the bull, drink a beer, just hang out. And in my mind, I don't say anything, but in my mind, I'm going, oh, I would hate that. (laughs) Please, Please hear me. What a waste of time. My friends, they're always trying to get me better. And the only thing that they know gets me better is the name of Jesus. And so when we're together, it, it's always that. I mean, I've had people say, I mean, I've literally people say to me, man, it's almost like it's exhausting to them. Like when we're with you, all you want to do is talk about Jesus. I'm like, yeah. It's interesting. They never call. And one hand, I'm saddened by that. And the other hand, I'm grateful for that. I, I want to talk about things that are going to be Forever. I want to talk about things that I'm going to spend more time. I don't know if you ever figured that. When I, I'm 80, I'm going to die. I don't know if that's true or not, but it might. It could happen before. It could happen today. And you're all going to grieve. Maybe not. Some of you might cheer and jump up and down. I don't know. Okay. But the bottom line is this. So if I die today, I don't even get to my 56th birthday. Okay, which is February 19th, just to let you know that. And... and <laughs> We're never looking for any kind of physical things. Cash is just fine. But, <laughs> but anyway, so, so I may not even get to that day. But if that's true, I've only lived 55 years. Does anybody know after 55 how long I'm going to live? Okay, I'm not giving all my attention to talk about 55 years. I want to give all my attention to talking about what is to come, where I'm going to be forever with which it's all about in the first place. And so these guys become extraordinary because they love their friends so much. They want their friend to be at the feet of Jesus. That makes them extraordinary to me. See, I want to give you some qualities of what I think extraordinary means as a friend. Here's the first one. Extraordinary friends are willing to sacrifice. Now, I don't know what it's like to carry somebody on a mat... I think I could do that. 
But to take the same guy 2,000 years ago up a ladder on a roof, punch a hole, a strategic hole, by the way, because the room's crowded, so they have one shot at this to figure out how to get him to make sure he goes right in front of Jesus, and it ain't their house. There's a conversation that's going to ensue later on. Would you agree with that? They don't care. That's extraordinary sacrifice. Because they know we're going to have to pay for this. But our friend's worth it. Because if we can get him down to Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? They wanted him at Jesus. See, I believe that extraordinary is not so much about what you think you can do. It's what you're willing to do. That changes everything. And this is what Jesus said in John 15. The very best way to love is to put your life out on the line for a friend. Some of you might have heard it this way. No greater love that you'd lay your life down. What greater sacrifice than that? These guys were extraordinary because they were sacrificial. But here's number two. I think extraordinary friends have this want to be selfless. They're always other-minded. In fact, the only reason we have the story and the only reason they're at the house is because of their paralyzed friend. I'm sure they had other things to do that day. But that day, he is what they had to do. Think about that for a moment. They weren't sitting at the coffee shop and someone lit up their phone and said, hey, Jesus is just down the road, man. How did they know Jesus was in the house? Talk about being other-minded. They had to do a little bit of exploring here. They had to do a little reconnaissance. We know that Jesus, which by the way, how did they even know that Jesus could do what they believed Jesus could do? They had learned something in the midst of previous days to get them to this day, and they figured out where Jesus was, and they took their friend. Because they knew that their friend needed Jesus. Boy, imagine the church could be that. That's extraordinary stuff to me. They're sacrificial, they're selfless, but this third one is very important, and next week we're going to talk about it more. Extraordinary friends are committed to seek for and stay with. I want you to listen. These guys weren't, if you will, putting a little notch in their belt. You know, we're, we're drilling wells in, in Liberia. And I'm so grateful we're a church that gives money so we can drill wells. But that's pretty easy, isn't it? But if I told you it cost you about 2,300 bucks to get on an airplane so you can go over there for seven, maybe to 10 days with us, are you willing to write that check out and get on an airplane and fly over and actually meet the people by which need the well? I'm not saying you have to do that. What I'm saying is this, that these guys didn't go, hey, man, like their paralyzed friend, like they didn't really know him and said, hey, can you get me to Jesus? Sure. Then drop him off and leave. These guys didn't just help their friend find Jesus. And this is the word the church needs to hear today. 
They didn't leave his side. You can count on them. And boy, if there's something the church needs to hear is that. Who can be counted on? These guys were extraordinary friends. They laid down their life. All they thought about was their friend. And they helped their friend find Jesus because he couldn't do it for himself. And then they got him to Jesus and then they stayed with him. Which I think is the coolest thing because watch this. If they'd have dropped him off, they just forfeited the incredible testimony of watching God heal him. See, you're never going to see the miracles of God until you understand the family of God. God works his miracles, and I can show you over and over, through the avenue of his people who are together so they can celebrate together and give the glory to God together. And boy, we need to learn this. Are you an extraordinary friend? Here's the second thing. These guys had extraordinary fortitude. They had determination. They had grit. They had no quit. I mean, these guys were amazing. Look at verse 19. They tried to take their friend inside of Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and they took some tiles off. And I already told you, not just any tiles. These are strategic tiles. And then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Let me tell you about extraordinary. It's never convenient. Which I think is one of the problems in our world today. Because, see, we want to live average lives that are comfortable lives. In other words, God, I need you in my life so I can get to heaven and be there with you forever. Just don't mess it up. I, I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't know what you gave your life to. If you don't want it messed up, you probably didn't get it. Because over and over in scripture, God is in the habit of messing up your life. Because it's in that, that he gets to get rid of all of the worldly stuff and he gets to start raising up the really good stuff. It's just like working out. You wanna get stronger, you're gonna have to exercise those muscles and you're gonna have to break them down and lift some weights because they're not gonna grow any other way. And how much greater is your spiritual life? This was nothing convenient about it. By the way, hence the word extra. <laughs> For it always requires just a little extra more. Consider what these guys had to face. A crowded house. The same story in Mark's gospel says it this way. There was no longer room, not even near the door. And we just read it seemed they came from everywhere. All of these religious leaders, I want to say that again. Remember when I told you, don't forget who's in the room? All of these religious leaders and teachers of the law, they're crowded in the room. But see, when you understand what it means to be extraordinary, there's no quit in your compassion. Now, I got to be honest with you. If that was me back then, I'm not sure I would have thought the roof was an option. I think I would have looked for a window. I think I would have looked for a back door. And if I couldn't get in, I'm wondering if I would have done what so many of us tend to do, because I'm as guilty as anybody else. 
maybe just this wasn't the day for you to meet Jesus. Let's just pray about it. And yet, Paul said, today is the day of salvation. It's so easy to get looking at the barriers and think, well, maybe God just closing the door. And I wonder if there's a part of God going, kick it down. There's still a roof. You got a backhoe. Come from underneath. You know, whatever you got to do. <laughs> I don't know. But I know with these guys, when it came to Jesus, there was no quit. These guys had fortitude. They had to deal with a crowded room, but they also had to deal with a calloused heart. Don't miss this. Because I don't think it's a stretch why they had to go to the rooftop. Remember who's in the room? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And as you read the scriptures, we all know how they felt about Jesus. It's pretty clear why they had to go up to bring their friend down because those who were down were going to do nothing to open it up. And that's in the world today. I've had to deal with it. I've had to face it, which makes me want to pause here for a moment. And I hope that as a church, if there's words out there that people are saying this about us, that somehow we would do everything to change that. What does it really mean to gather as Christians? Can I tell you one thing it is? There's always room for one more. There's always room for one more. And God's people will do just about everything and anything to make sure that is certain. God's people, not church people. See, I will tell you, I love this church building. I love this church building. It's, it's not the finest. At least from the world's perspective. I know churches, what they've spent. I'm not saying that in disrespect. I'm just saying, I love this building. It's just useful. But it still has a leaky roof, which is really cool. Because it's like a free baptismal service, you know, <laughs> depending where you're sitting. But it does, right back of the door, we're always cleaning the carpet back there. It was an old school. We've done everything we can to try to turn it into God's house. Knocking out walls here, knocking out walls there. But I, I want you to hear my heart. I'm not here to defend it. I just have to be honest with you. I love this church building but I don't love it more than lost people. My question is, how about you? Careful. That's why I wanted us to try to maybe move over to Terry Redland. I wasn't trying to get us into debt. I wasn't trying to do that. I just can't stand staying comfortable. I, I can only tell you who I am. I just can't stand complacency. I can't stand it this morning that there's chairs that are empty. Can't stand it. Cannot stand it. And so I, I just want to dispel an argument. Some of you might come up later and, and say something like this to me. And, and I just need to tell you what, what goes to my heart and mind. 
I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's not right for me when people come up and go, well, you just need to learn to preach who God sends you. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> My question isn't, are you okay with who God sends? What I'm here to tell you is if you're a follower of Jesus, he sent you to go get him. And there is a city full of people who are dying, going to hell. How come they're not here? Why does God's people stop and go, why don't you just be okay with who God sends? My question is, how come he sent you and you don't go? Help me understand that one. He is sending them. He just can't get his people to go get them. That's what it means to be extraordinary. How far are we willing to go? What price are we willing to pay? What work are we willing to do to get someone, anyone, to the feet of Jesus? Knock down some more walls? I'm okay with it. That's the only thing that was pulsating my heart of wanting to go to Tay Redland. It's the only reason I wanted to knock out the walls and have a bigger welcome center because it's like a bottleneck. But I don't care if we do it or not. That's why I'm perfectly fine that we didn't go to Terra Redland. All I'm saying, this is great. We don't have that debt. We don't have all that stuff. My question is, is are we going to still go over there and do whatever we can to help broken, broken, lost people know Jesus Christ? That's my question. Or are we going to sit here and just play church? And then think we're going to stand before God and he's going to go, well done, way to sit. Pre Come into my heaven prepared for you because you were so complacent and comfortable and it was about convenient. Please come in. I mean, I didn't do anything. I just went and walked with you and died on a cross and rose from the dead. No big deal, okay? I mean, I'm just really asking. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just saying, my goodness. He doesn't owe us anything, but he gave us everything. And you don't have to worry about getting it wrong because if you love people, you'll always get it right because God's bigger than anything that we could ever think or imagine. You're not going to screw it up. If that was true, well, we're all doomed. <laughs> I screwed up all the time. I'm probably screwed it up this morning. But I'm willing to risk it for Jesus and screw it up. Then do nothing. To be safe, to have a few friends go, he was a good guy. I don't want to be a good guy. I want to be a God guy. And I don't even know what that means, but it's worth risking for the sake of the kingdom of God. That's all I'm saying. I can't be extraordinary, but Jesus can help me. Are you willing to put up with different music even though it's not your preference? Is being right so important at the expense of lost, broken people? Will you park a little farther than you do right now so that a new guest can be a little closer and don't have to walk as far? See, the church is not about me. It's not about we. It's about he. An extraordinary will always do the extra necessary to get someone to Jesus. These guys were extraordinary friends. They had extraordinary fortitude. But here's number three. They lived out an extraordinary faith, which, by the way, changed their friend's life. I don't want you to miss this. Look at verse 5 
or, or chapter five, verse 20. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven you. I want you to notice that. The dude was healed, not because of his faith, but because of our faith. I want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus saw these guys, ordinary guys, come into a, drop their buddy through a hole of someone else's roof. And Jesus goes, dude, you're, you're okay. <laughs> In that, you actually can be known for who you associate with. It's a game changer. Let me tell you two key truths about having an extraordinary faith. An extraordinary faith will always rise up because it just can't sit there. See, if we really believed in the power of Jesus that he can make the impossible possible, we'd rise up every morning with a skip in our step and a beat in our feet. I believe it. No matter when you're going through the difficult, it's like, okay, here we go, another day. We'd rise up and ask to serve anywhere and everywhere, even if it's in our underwear, okay? I'm just telling you, we'd rise up to make certain that someone would just meet Jesus. You gotta rise up, but not just rise up, you'll rip roofs off. You'll rise up and you'll rip it off because you have to do something, you just can't sit there. These guys had so much faith, they picked a man up who was unable to pick himself up. And they brought him to Jesus. And I want to go back to the very first message. If you and I would open up our eyes, we'd see the same types of people sitting on their mats as well. You'll see them all around you. You'll either see them as a hindrance or an opportunity. It's time for us to rise up and rip off Whatever it takes to get people to Jesus, because that's what extraordinary does. Now I'm going to get real personal. I've got to get real personal because I, 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 know, I know I have to do this. I'm going to invite the team to the stage as they come. I'm going to do something right now for some of you. I'm going to drop you at the feet of Jesus. I want you to listen to this. Some of you gave your life to Jesus years ago. You were saved you were forgiven and you were healed, but you're still sitting on your own mat. And I'm not sure what's more sad, being paralyzed physically or being paralyzed spiritually. You're paralyzed by fear, shame, guilt, and a complete disbelief of the very power of who God is. It's time for you to pick up your mat. It's time for you to stop being a victim. It's time for you to stop being lesser than when God made you for a whole lot more. It's time for you to quit waiting for somebody else, the church, the government, even me, to do what only Jesus has already done. And that is for you to rise up, to pick up your mat and go home. Do you know what that means? He's not saying pick it up and go home and isolate yourself. He's saying, he told the man, pick up your mat. Get up, pick it up and go home. 
Go back to the people I put in your world so they can see what I did for your life. And they too would want to come and meet me. Please hear this, mom, dads. You're responsible for your kids. Are you showing them who Jesus is? And how are you doing it? Do they see Jesus in you, dad? And how you give, how you serve, how you speak, how you love their mother? How about you, mom? Even when the kids aren't present, but you're out with your girlfriends. As God and Satan are watching on, do they hear you talk about your husband with deep respect? Or are you tearing him down? Oh, you got to pray with me, girls. My husband's such a lazy slob. Jesus heard that. And Satan heard that. How about at work? People know that you go to church. Or maybe the other question is, is do they and why don't they? Do you say, well, because I want them to see Jesus in me. Okay, do they? Paul said, when you work forever, who you work for, it doesn't matter if you work for the devil. Paul said this, you're to do your work as if you're working for the Lord. So you, you don't have to like what I said. You, you're welcome. In our world, we just jump up and swap fish and go somewhere else, don't we? As Peter said, you just find people to tell you what you want to hear so you can feel good about yourself. And that's fine. I'm not saying that with any disrespect. We are all welcome to do that. The question is, is when you stand before God, is your thoughts worth the risk of how you are living today? That might be your value. That might be your vision. I don't know. I can't say it for you, and it's not for me to judge you. I can only tell you what the Word says. The best I know how to tell you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not downing you. I'm just trying to ask some honest questions. Pick up your mat. God wants to transform your paralysis into a praise. He wants for you to pick up your mat so he can turn it into your message. He wants your ordinary days to become his extraordinary ones. And he wants it right now. See, when I read this story, it's interesting when I studied it in the original language, immediately it says in verse 25, he rose up before them. When you proper text of a passage of scripture and you look at how it's written, it's so easy to put it in, in the context of its day of which it is, but the word immediate transforms time or transcends time. Did you know that? 
The word immediate speaks right now in this moment. In other words, the same thing that happened to that man can happen to you, depending how you respond. It says immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what he had been lying on. He picked up what he had been relying on. And he went home glorifying God. Now watch what happens. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Our world doesn't need more church. Our world needs Christ. A Christ that is truly transformed in you and I. Living out extraordinary. These dudes were ordinary dudes. And they bring their buddy to Jesus. And their buddy finds a huge dose of extraordinary forgiveness, healing, and purpose. The question is, will we do the same? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right now. And I want to ask you some questions. See, I believe that this Jesus can make anything extraordinary. Do you really believe that? I want to ask that question again. Make the statement, but then the question, I believe this Jesus can make anything and anyone and everyone extraordinary. But do you really believe that? I believe that nothing can happen extraordinary without a true connection with this Jesus. Do you believe that? But finally, I believe these extraordinary things will happen and can happen right now when we get serious, when we get intentional about connecting people to Jesus. Do you believe that? See, what I'm asking is, will you determine then right now in your heart to become an extraordinary friend who's willing to use extraordinary force and live out an extraordinary faith. A faith that will rise up. A faith that will rip off any roof needed. I'll say again, I'm pretty sure there was somebody not so happy about their roof being destroyed. But money can fix that. I'm pretty sure their friend was mighty happy they ripped a hole in that roof. And that money can't fix. We're living in a world, people, where the name of Christ isn't such a popular name anymore. Where the notion of the church, the community of believers, 
isn't endorsed like it used to be. We're living in a world where people have felt that their job is to take the scriptures and make it say what they want it to say. But what a time with the joy set before us that we endure whatever cross we have to face. Because in Jesus, we're not going to fail because he can't fail. God will be able to do things we can't even fathom when God's people say, here I'm, here am I. Here I am, God, whatever that means. I just want people to know Jesus. In my humanity, in my brokenness, in my failures, in my shortcomings, I want people to meet Jesus. And I believe that what you did in me on that cross, you can do through me that others would know Jesus. I want to be that ordinary, living the extraordinary. I want to be that friend. I want to have that faith. I want to have that fortitude for the name of Jesus. Is that you? Are you praying that prayer? Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.